Hi, I'm Pastor Dennis Hester, and I want to welcome you as you join First Baptist Watauga in listening to these messages. Whether you're listening uh, on an audio podcast or you're watching on our Facebook page or on YouTube, we're glad that you've joined us. Our heart and desire is that through these messages, you might continue to grow in your faith. We're a church that's committed to God's Word and uh, simply proclaiming the truth of what He says. And so as you join us, I hope that you grow and that you flourish in your faith. I'd also encourage you to make sure that you're plugged into a local body of believers. If you're here in Watauga, we'd love to meet you, that you could join in with us. If you're outside of Watauga, I'd encourage you to find that body of Christ that you can get plugged into. There's nothing that that can substitute for that local uh, relationship as you join with others in worship of our holy God. So welcome. We're glad that you're here to listen and join in. If you would need prayer or you need to be encouraged in some other way, I'd encourage you to uh, just simply uh, email us, uh, contact us through Facebook, and we'd love to get back with you as soon as we could. God bless you as you listen to God's Word. Amen. It is good to be in the house of the Lord today, isn't it? I, uh, I noted to Matthew earlier, I think he had an extra shot or two of espresso in his coffee, but he did a great job leading worship, and we are grateful for that. Amen. Well, what a way to start out the new year. I want to start with a little bit of kind of business stuff, have a word of prayer, and then get into God's Word together. Uh, there's a couple things that are on my mind that I want us to pray for. Uh, probably first and foremost this morning is all of you are aware of what happened at West Freeway Church of Christ last Sunday morning uh, over in uh, White Settlement, west part of northwest part of Fort Worth. Uh, and we're, we want to be in prayer for that congregation as they meet today. But I, I want to first give you some assurances. Uh, most people don't know, unless you're a deacon or married to one of the deacons, that our church has a security plan and has a, it, it, we need to work on it. We need to do better. Uh, there's no question about that. But we have uh, men that each week uh, lock the doors, patrol the grounds. They have procedures that they go by. Uh, we have other men who have uh, pay attention. They've been to some of the trainings. And so, uh, but we, we're actually going to be, uh, certainly going to be talking about that, especially in light of what happened last week and seeking to do a better job. But we as a church, uh, like most churches, uh, have, have a balance that we want to seek. Our desire is to be open and welcoming and uh, allow uh, those who, you know, obviously we don't know and people that are different from us to, to, to be welcomed in, into, the, into the church family as we pray for them. But we also need to be aware in the culture that we live in and, uh, and have kind of a heightened state of awareness, especially among our security people. So be in prayer for the church in Fort Worth. Uh, be in prayer for me as a pastor. You know, as a pastor... A shepherd, uh, my, uh, I feel a heavy responsibility to watch after the flock, the sheep that God has given me. And there are trusted men in particular and some women that, that, that are a part of our security. And so be in prayer for that as we move forward. Secondly, I want us to be in prayer for our nation. In particular, uh, my heart this, the last couple of days is to pray uh, for those troops uh, who are being deployed to the Middle East 
and uh, lift them up and pray for their protection, but also to pray for their families who are left behind as they're being deployed to the Middle East in this uh, tense time. So we always have troops stationed uh, overseas like that. But right now, if you've been watching the news, know that this is a, is a unique, intense time. So we'll make that a part of our prayer as well as we begin the new year. So let me pray with you, and then we'll jump into God's Word. Father, we thank you that we are able to gather here this first Sunday of 2020 and worship the one true living God. We lift up and praise your name, Lord, the name of Jesus. We lift up and praise the name of your Spirit, uh, who indwells us and indwells this place as we worship. Our prayer is that the name of Jesus would be honored in all that we sing and all that we do. Also, that, uh, Lord, you would, you would find us pliable and open and teachable as we come to your word. Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters in uh, all throughout the Metroplex, but especially those this morning who are worshiping at uh, this church, West Freeway Church of Christ, we ask that you would encourage them, that you would bless them, that you would fill uh, their, their building, fill their hearts with a sense of security and comfort and peace in your presence. Lord, we know ultimately that you are our only hope. There are threats to our lives from without and within every single day, and you are the only one that we can truly trust. And so we put our faith and trust in you. And Father, we pray for those men and women and their families, those who are being deployed, some even now as we speak, some who have friends in this congregation who are being uh, sent overseas uh, to be on the ready for uh, the, uh, what may happen with the tension that's there. And so, Lord, we ask that your spirit would uh, give them strength and guidance, peace, or that you'd protect them and keep them safe as uh, they seek to serve this nation. And many of them who are believers seek to serve it as they serve you. So, Lord, let your spirit lead. Let your spirit lead us today as we study your word together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Today is a new day. Uh, you can say that every day. Uh, we started out the, the service, Matthew did, with this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Every morning when we wake up and take our first breath, uh, we should be grateful that the Lord has blessed us with a new day because we don't know uh, what tomorrow holds. All that we can be responsible for is how we walk today. But it's one of those unique times. It's the first Sunday of a new year. And as the first Sunday of a new year, we uh, always have this sense of something that's fresh, something that's new. Uh, you know, hopefully uh, today is the fifth. So hopefully some of those resolutions that you made, you have still been able to keep uh, through day five. Uh, and, and some of you do it, you know, some of you do a great job in, in making that commitment and keeping that commitment throughout the year. Uh, but it's a new day. It's a new year. And in, in all honesty, now, I, those of you that know that I'm, I'm one of these guys that I've got that little mathematical mind, and I've had a little bit of trouble with calling this a new decade, okay? I, just because mathematically, it's not, a new decade starts on the year that begins with one. However, our human brains don't work that way, do they? Uh, nobody refers to 1990 as part of the 80s. Nobody does, because our minds don't work that way. Once that number changes on that second digit from the right, we start thinking of it as a new decade. So we'll call it a new decade because that feels better to us. And so we have a new year, we have a new decade at, at which we are beginning to, some of you are out there going, no, we don't, no, we don't. You know, it, we, we, nobody, we'll never be on the same page here. And, and, and I struggle, as I say, but no, it's 20. 
20. It's a new decade. We have, we have 10 years of these 2020s to look forward to uh, that, that we can be excited about and, and, and have, look for that change and see what it is that God has for us. As we begin the message today, I've been looking forward to this day since last September because we had begun a walk through the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is very doctrinal and in a lot of ways very technical and in some ways very difficult until, by and large, we get to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, which is where we're beginning today. Hebrews 10, verse 19 begins the, the third section. So we have completed section 1 that went from Hebrews 1 to the middle of Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4 through Hebrews, or the, the, toward the end of Hebrews chapter 4 to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 18. Those were the two main doctrinal sections. Verse uh, chapter 10, verse 19 begins what is a little bit more uh, directly applicable to our faith and, and, and our everyday walk, not our faith. Uh, the best way to put it is it's more uh, gives us daily guidance and uh, Still, there's some doctrinal issues here where the writer of Hebrews is building off his foundation and launching us into what do we do with it? Because of what Jesus has done for us, how does it affect us? How do we go forward from here? And that's why the, the, the title of this series is going to be called A New and Living Way. And in reality, that's the title of today's message because uh, verse 19 through 25 of Hebrews chapter 10 is kind of an introduction to this new and living way. So let's read it together, and then uh, we'll jump into that text. The Scripture says, beginning in verse 19, Therefore, brothers and sisters, I'll stop right there for a moment. You've heard me say this before. Anytime, especially in one of the epistles, that you see the word therefore, it's wise to stop and ask, what is that therefore, therefore? Because there's a reason. He is asking us, based on what I've said up to this point, now I've got something that, 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 you wanna, that I want you to do based on that. And that's where we find ourselves today. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain. That is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. And let us watch out for one another to provoke one another in love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. So as we jump into it, the first three verses really are kind of introductory. They are pointing back to what he said in the past and, and they're laying a foundation for three I'll go ahead and give you the technical term, hortatory subjunctives, uh, three commands that he gives us that are a particular form of speech in the Hebrew language where, where he's not just telling us to do something, but he's inviting us to join him. So the writer invites us to join him in three big areas by saying, let us do this, let us do this, and let us do this. And so those are the three main points of the of the message, but we can't get there until we look at his doctrinal uh, connector here, the first three verses, verse 19, 20, and 21, because he tells us here 
uh, in verse 19, brothers and sisters, based on this foundation, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus. Let's begin there. We have those who put their faith and trust in Christ can have confidence to come into the presence of God through the blood of Christ. Now, that's important for us to understand the, the sense and if there. Because the, only those who have put their faith in Christ can have confidence to come into his presence. I want you to hear that. This is where the gospel is brought home in this text. It is through the blood of Christ that we have access to the Father. Outside of what Jesus did for us on the cross, there is a gulf that separates us from the Heavenly Father. There's a huge chasm that keeps us from being able to have a relationship with God. And that, that, that gulf, that chasm is created by our sin. Our sin has caused this huge gap where, where one can't go from here to there. We cannot get to the Father. We cannot come into his presence. The, the, the heavenly Father does not hear the prayer of those who don't have a relationship with him except for the prayer requesting salvation. See, the, the truth is... I, I, as a pastor, I, I get asked to do a lot of things. I get asked to do a lot of counseling from people that aren't in the church. I'll get asked to do weddings sometimes, funerals from people that aren't believers. And, and it's one of those difficult times because every person wants to believe that their grandma has gone to heaven. But not every grandma goes to heaven. Only those grandmas who have been washed by the blood of Christ. See, that's the, that's the difficulty. And as a pastor, in those circumstances, I'm very careful to, if I don't know for sure, to say, you know, if your grandma put her faith and trust in Christ, then she's with the Lord today. Now, I, I leave the other question open unless they ask me because a funeral is not the time to tell somebody their grandma's not in heaven. But the truth is, there's a huge chasm between man and God because of our sin. We cannot have confidence that God hears our prayer unless we've been washed by the blood of Christ. It is through his blood, through his sacrifice, that we have access to the presence of God. I'll often hear people say something like, well, I prayed and I prayed. I don't feel like God hears my prayer. Well, have you put your faith and trust in Christ as your Lord, as your Savior? If you haven't, then you're right. The Lord does not hear your prayer. Now, that's not being tough. That's, that's just truth. Those who have been sprinkled by the blood of Jesus can have confidence that the Lord hears our prayer. That, that, that we can come into his presence and that we belong to him because that gulf, that chasm that was created by our sin has been bridged by the cross. When Jesus shed his blood on the cross and his, his body was sacrificed for us on the cross, his cross created a bridge from sinful man to the holy presence of his Father. And it is only through the cross, it is only through the sprinkled blood and the broken flesh of Jesus Christ that we can have confidence and access into the presence of God. And so I want to pause there for just a moment because 
That, that is crucial. If, if, if you're hearing this message today, and you're going, well, wait a minute. I believe in God, and I know God. If you have never publicly professed Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you are not cleansed by the blood of Christ, and you don't have hope of eternal life today, and you don't have access to the Father. And I would implore you to deal with that today. Don't, don't let this day pass. If you don't know for sure, if you died today, that, that your sins would be forgiven, that your sins were washed, and that you're in the presence of the Father, deal with that today. At the end of every Sunday morning service, we have a time for response. And that time is for you. If you need to come and say, Pastor, I don't know if I die today, if I'd go to heaven. I've, I've never confessed Jesus publicly. I've never been baptized biblically by immersion. Now, baptism doesn't save you, but what I've learned is God gave us baptism for a reason. Baptism is that first step of obedience. And, and we as believers, when we put our faith and trust in Christ, we're going to want to follow him in baptism. We're going to run to the water because it, 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 it symbolizes the sprinkling of his blood and the washing of, of, of our sins away. And if you've never done that, I implore you to begin there because nothing else I say today matters if you have not put your faith in Jesus as your personal Savior. And what a better way to begin a new year than by making that decision that I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to, I'm going to put my faith in. I'm going to buy into that new and living way. Because the, the exciting thing about the new and living way is it doesn't, it, it's not about us making sacrifices. It's about the sacrifice that God made when he sent his son so we can have a relationship with him. When I was growing up as a, as a young Baptist, uh, you know, before I was a believer in Christ, I mean, I heard it all. When I first put my, you know, came forward and put my faith in Christ, all my friends said, well, you're, you can't go dancing now, and you can't play cards on Sunday. I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, they'd heard all, they thought, they thought Christianity was a list of do's and don'ts. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Okay. God's, God's desire was not to constrain us. God's desire is to empower us to live a life that is exciting, that is new, that is full. Jesus said, I have come that you might have abundant, might have life and have it more abundantly. He begins that statement in John 10, 10 by saying, the thief has come to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I've come that you might have life. Jesus inaugurated us for us a new and living way. We don't live based on religion. We get to live out a relationship with the Holy God because Jesus bridged the gap when he died on the cross for our sins. That's where the writer of Hebrews begins this exhortation by saying, because, this has already happened, since you can enter into the presence of God through his spilled blood and through his broken, broken flesh, and since you have a great high priest. Okay, we're, we're, why is that important? Why is it important that we have a great high priest? A great high priest means that Jesus... He died on the cross. He shed his blood. He, 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 he bridged that gap for us. But now he stands before the Father and basically says, he's one of mine. She's one of mine. Why is that important? Because as a believer, sometimes you still sin. I still sin. We still sin. And as a believer, we still struggle with, with things in this world, and we still st struggle with our flesh. But we have confidence because even as a believer when we sin, now how many of y'all would, would confess this? Okay, when I, 
when, when the preacher preached that message and I, I learned that I was lost and I, had, I, I needed to accept Christ as my Savior, I came forward, I accepted him as my Savior, I was baptized and I began that journey following Christ. But a real crisis came later on when I sinned against God. And I felt like now, because I'm already a believer and I've sinned again, sometimes we've sinned horribly as believers. Now I've sinned. Is it too late? Does God, is God still going to accept me? Fine, God, God forgave me and cleansed me of my sin before I was saved, but now I'm saved and I've messed up again. I can't come before him. It, you know, it's like when you know that your dad already knows you messed up and you don't want to come home, right? But the good news is, believers... Not only since we have someone who shed his blood and had his body broken so we could be saved, we have a great high priest, and so we can come home. When we sin, we can still come home. We can still come back into the Father's presence. We can still ask for forgiveness, and he loves us, and we're still one of his children. Amen? The good news is that because of Jesus, there's a new living way. There's a way of life, not a way of death. We, we, we're, we're, we're not living out a religion that gives us all of the rules and regulations of what we can and can't do. We're living out a, a relationship with a heavenly father who loves us, who sent his son to die for us, and wants to walk with us every day. That's good news. And if you have not put your faith and trust in that Jesus to follow him and given him your heart and your life, to be born again, born again, born anew, to walk with him. I implore you to do that today before you leave this building. Come forward, talk to me, talk to Kevin. We have others that you can sit down and visit with if you need more explanation. But let's move forward. Based on that, you're born again, you're washed in the blood of Christ. You have access to the throne room of the Heavenly Father. You have a relationship with the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Based on that, he gives us three commands. Let us first draw near to God. First and foremost, then, what we need to do is take advantage of that relationship, so to speak. We need to walk in that relationship and draw near to God. And there's two things that he gives us here. The first two phrases that connect to this are kind of subjective. Draw near to God with a sincere heart. It's a choice that you have to make that you want to come before him open and honest. It's a subjective idea. What does a sincere heart look like? You can't measure it necessarily. It's something that, 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 that's organic. Are you walking with integrity? Are you sincere as you come before the Heavenly Father? The only, the only two that know that are you and the Heavenly Father. But... But the, the, the encouragement is to draw near to God with a sincere heart. You know, one of the things that it means to draw near to God with a sincere heart for me is when I'm not happy with God, I just tell him. You know, he's big enough to take it. I, I, I've, I've come before the Lord before and said, Lord, I don't like the way that worked out. I, I remember probably the most, most uh, obvious instance was when... Uh, you know, our daughter had been through all of those surgeries, and all of that pain, and all of that suffering when she was about five years old. She'd had, at that point, over 20 surgeries. She'd had uh, over 400 inpatient hospital days, six weeks in rehab. She'd had a, 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 a several, I think, gosh, she spent three or four months in that body cast when she had to have a, a hip fixed and, and all of this. And we get through all of that, and she goes to her first year of, of pre-K 
And they do a hearing test, and we find out that she's going deaf. We take her to an audiologist. The audiologist basically, her hearing at, at five years old was worse than mine is right now without my hearing aids. And I remember getting in the truck, and I was just mad. I said, Lord, hasn't Katie had enough? This is not fair. But you know what I learned? My heavenly father understands, and he loves me. He knew I wasn't going to agree with him on that issue. And it didn't, didn't bother him. I, I felt like at that point it was a lot better for me to be honest with God because he already knew what was in here. All right? So come to God with a sincere heart. Be honest with God. Come before him as his child who you know he loves you. I'm not saying come with arrogance, telling him that you have to have it your way. That's going to get you in trouble. But you come with integrity. You come with a sincere heart. You come in full assurance of your faith. And that's one of the keys here because I think that this is so important. Draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. See, I didn't have any question about whether he loved me. I knew he loved me. I just didn't like some decisions he's making. I was walking by faith. I knew he was our only hope. Now, I've had people that, I've seen folks. Just recently, I visited with a, with a man whose really good friend lost a child about the same age that we lost Katie, and he turned away from God and walked away at that point. See, that's the other option. But my view is that at this point, my hope is in Christ. My hope for Katie is in Christ. My hope for us is in Christ. If I turn away from God, then what do I have? There's nothing left. So in full assurance of faith, draw near to God. With a sincere heart, draw near to God. And then he gives us two objective phrases. It's because these two things have happened that we can draw near to God in full assurance of our faith with a sincere heart. First, we've had our hearts sprinkled by the blood. And second, we've had our bodies washed. Because God has already done something in us, because he has already cleansed us of our sins, because he has already purified us, and though he is still in the act of purifying us as his children, he's already done that. We can draw near to God in full assurance of our faith. Why is it that I can come to God in sincerity? It's because I'm his child. He owns me. I belong to him. So let us draw near to God. First command, hortatory subjunctive. I would encourage you, come with me in 2020 and let's draw near to God. That's where we have to begin. If we're not drawing near to God, the rest of it's not going to matter. So it, it comes out of this relationship with him. Second command then is let us uh, hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering. Our hope is rooted in the promises that we have through Christ Jesus, our Savior. Let us hold tight to the confession of our hope. Why? For what I've just said. He is my hope. When we hold tight to our confession of our hope, we're going to continue to grow in our relationship and in our walk with God. There's going to come times where we doubt. There's times when things happen in my life when, when that, that little bit of doubt begins to creep in, and I even begin to ask that question, does God even love me? I settled that a long time ago. Actually, Jesus settled it a long time ago. When he died on the cross, God demonstrated his, own lo his love for me. That while I was still, still a sinner, he sent his son to die for me. 
he demonstrated, he put on display his love by sending his son to die on the cross. So he settled that. He loves you and he loves me. Hold on to that confession. Don't let go of that. Satan is going to try to shake the foundation of your faith. And if you allow him to shake the foundation of your faith and and, and things begin to come loose, they're going to start coming apart. Hold tight to the confession of your faith. Now, that doesn't mean you have to be dogmatic about secondary and tertiary things. Let, let Let me explain something here. Some of you may not agree with my view on whether we should have uh, let's just throw one out there. Women as senior pastors in the pulpit. We may not all agree on that view. That's not primary issue as a confession of our faith, okay? We, we, we can disagree on some things as long as we go back to Scripture and say, this is what I believe Scripture says. Is there some varying interpretation? Now, of course, I'm right on that and you're not, but, uh, <laughs> but that's okay. My, my point is there's things that we have to hold tight to And there's some things that we don't have to fight over. You know what we need to hold tight to? That we believe in God the Father. And we believe in His Son. And we believe in His Holy Spirit. We believe that they're three in one. We believe that Christ died on the cross, shed His blood for our sin, and rose again so that we could have everlasting life. And that He's coming back. Those things matter. When He comes back. The calendar on when He comes back. How He comes back. We can have discussions about that. But those aren't crucial. What's crucial is that we believe in Jesus and the foundation of our faith, and then we hold tight to those. I personally believe, and, and some of us are, we, we, you know, we can argue over what's tertiary and what's secondary. I'm going to say that one of the things that is primary in our doctrine is that, that God's Word, Scripture, Genesis through Revelation, is His holy Word, and that His holy Word is without error. And I'm going to preach from and teach from His Word. And, and let the chips fall where they may. Because sometimes his word says things that I don't like. Sometimes it says things that my mind can't comprehend. But that's okay. I'm going to preach from and teach from his word. I think that that's primary. And, and so that's something that we have to agree on. That we're going we're gonna to walk in our relationship. We're going to build the church. We're, we're going we're gonna to experience life together as a church body based on the Word of God. So you'll hear me say sometimes when people ask me a question or it comes to counseling situations, what do you think I should do? I'll say, what does Scripture say? I mean, I've heard, I've heard this come out of people's mouths, believe it or not. Well, I know Scripture says, but well, I'm not going to agree with you then because <laughs> I'm going to stick with what Scripture says, Okay. That's primary. Hold, we have to hold tight to those things. We have to hold tight to those primary confessions of our faith. If Satan is able to shake us loose from those things, he'll destroy our faith. Right now, I read an article last night. Uh, there was a council that met last week from the United Methodist denomination. And based on something that happened in their uh, international conference last summer, the United Methodist are going to split in America. In fact, the United Methodists nationally are going to split. The United Methodists, who are going to hold the name, are going to be those who are accepting of saying that homosexuality is not a sin. They'll, they, will, they will perform uh, marriages for homosexuals, and they will uh, ordain homosexual deacons, preachers, uh, bishops, and leaders. 
they are going to allow, because it's a top-down structure and there's a lot of money involved, the denomination owns all the building, all the property, they're going to allow those who are more conservative, who believe that homosexuality is a sin and who do not wish to ordain uh, homosexual pastors and preachers and deacons, they're going to allow them to split off and however many churches vote to do that to become their own conservative denomination, they're going to receive uh, an amount of money uh, in commensurate with their property and those kind of things. They're going to divide the funds. The United Methodists are going to go through a divorce over that. As I was reading that story, uh, it made clear that every, what are referred to as mainline denominations, when we talk about our nation was founded on Christian principles, basically it was uh, uh, people from the Church of England, uh, people who were separated from the Church of England that were coming over the, to uh, the colonies and, and uh, every mainline Protestant denomination in the United States has already moved that direction. They're already liberal there. And, and so they, they get there by, I believe, denying what Scripture says. They have a weak view of Scripture. That's what happens when you don't hold tight to the confession of your faith. It may feel good to say, well, I love everybody and I want everybody to be able to do what they want to do. The problem with that attitude is that's not what Scripture says. Scripture says that if you see a brother in his sin, you talk to him about his sin, and you seek to bring him back to relationship with Christ. Hold fast to the confessions of your faith without wavering. Hold fast dogmatically to those things that are important without wavering. And remember that he is faithful. Hold as tight as you can, but remember that Jesus is holding on to you too because he is faithful. And then the third subjunctive here says, let us watch out for each other. This is a great, what better message could we have on the first Sunday of the new year than this? Let us watch out, verse 23, for one another to stimulate, the word that's used here is the word provoke, which that, that tends to have ne negative connotations in my world because, you know, one of our daughters was the one who would provoke things. And she would always stir things up. You know, we had names for them. We had, we had the informer. Uh, we had the enforcer. We had the agitator. Well, I'm not naming names. But there was one, if we were going on a long drive, if she would go to sleep, everybody else would be at peace. But if that one was awake, she kept things stirred up. And we used the word provoke, okay? She kept it going, okay? The word here, it could it just as easily be translated stimulate, to push forward, to encourage. And so the, the, the encouragement from the writer of Hebrews is to let us watch out for one another, to encourage, to stimulate one another to love. So we have this command that what we ought to be doing as brothers and sisters in Christ is encouraging one another toward love, to stimulate one another toward love. I'll tell you one of the best ways to do that. Love your brother. It's a lot easier for me to love you if you love me first, right? Now, now that's not necessarily the most Christian way to look at it. We're supposed to love in spite of how the other person acts. But if you will love others, you will stimulate them to love. Love begets love. It encourages love back and forth. Encourage one another to love. Encourage one another to good works. 
It's always encouraging to me when I see a brother in Christ doing something serving someone else. When I see them sharing the gospel, when I see them uh, encouraging or lifting up someone or praying for someone, it always provokes me and encourages me and stimulates me to do the same thing. But you cannot do that if as brothers and sisters in Christ, we're not coming together on a regular basis. I had a lady in the hallway told me today, I was so excited just to to hear that positive attitude. Her plan is to be here every Sunday this year. That's her commitment. She wants to gather with her brothers and sisters in Christ to worship Christ every Sunday this year. My prayer is that she never gets sick on Sunday. That she can be here every Sunday. And that the Lord fulfills that desire of her heart. Because we cannot effectively encourage, build up, stimulate, provoke one another to love and good works if we're not together. You can't do it. So the command from the writer of Hebrews is, you know, I've heard this verse used out of context forever. People will use it all the time to say, you need to go to church. Well, that's what it says. You need to gather together with your brothers and sisters in Christ to encourage them. But let's not take it out of context. Let's remember that that command follows the command to hold tight to the principles of our faith. And that command follows the command to hold tight to God, to, to, to be rooted and grounded in Him, to draw near to God. And so out of the personal relationship as we draw near to God, and then we hold tight to the truths of our faith, the foundational principles of our faith, then we come together as a body of believers and encourage one another. I'll tell you one thing here that, that I think that this leads to. If you find yourself in a church that is not holding fast to the principles of faith, especially the foundational principles of faith, then you probably ought to find a church that is and encourage and stimulate those brothers and sisters. Sadly, I've just said it from what, what the survey showed what I showed in the article, the majority of the mainline churches in the United States of America and in the West have diminished the role of Scripture and denied the authority of Scripture and certainly denied the inerrancy of Scripture. So if you believe that God's Word is true and you believe that God's Word ought to be used as your guide, then you hold tight to your relationship with the Lord first. Then you hold tight to the basic foundational principles of your faith and you become a part of a body of believers that believes what you believe about God's Word, and then you get connected, and you, you, you dive in, and you build relationships, and you begin to grow, and you begin to encourage and provoke and stimulate those brothers and sisters who you identify in your faith with, and that you identify in your walk with, and, and, and you do it regularly, Don't neglect gathering together. And I think that that can go beyond Sunday, obviously. I think that you can can find places to serve with your brothers and sisters, getting together. Uh, Some of the the ladies in our church, when the weather's better, uh, that have young kids, they get out 
together and have play dates together and, and do things with their kids together. And, and you can gather in your homes and families and eat meals together. And so don't neglect gathering together, certainly as a whole community, a whole body of believers, because ultimately that's where the whole church comes together. But, but you can encourage and you can stimulate and you can provoke to good works and to, and to love in many other ways. I know that, that for many, social media is the devil, and it can be horrible. But brothers and sisters in Christ, you can also use social media to encourage and build up and love on one another. There, there's times when I'm, I feel like I've had a bad day, maybe a bad day in the pulpit, and, and I get home, and I, I get a ding on my phone, and I get either an email or a text or something on Facebook that says, Pastor, God's Word really spoke through you to me this morning. And it's encouraging, and it's uplifting. So gather together to stimulate and provoke toward love and toward good works. But look for ways to encourage and build up one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, ultimately, you're never going to really have those relationships unless you spend some time face-to-face. Facebook just ain't going to do it. But you need to have that time together. Growth groups. Get involved in a growth group or you're in a smaller group and you get to know people in the church. And that helps you build those relationships. Serve together. I mean, some of the people that I've noticed that get closest in the relationship in the church are those who, who serve on like the back-to-school committee where, where they're serving for a particular purpose and they're meeting uh, throughout the year. And, and they, they have to build relationships because they have to work together or on the, the sharing Christmas committee, those who, who work on those kind of things. If, if you're a part of a, a service group, the Lord also will help you grow to stimulate and to build up and encourage one another. Gathering together regularly, encouraging each other always. What a way to start the new year. First, draw near to God. Make that your first commitment, that you're going to draw near to your heavenly Father and you're going to walk with Him daily. Hold tight to your faith, the confession of your faith. And then don't neglect the gathering together, worshiping together with your brothers and sisters in Christ, encouraging and stimulating one another toward love. Once you begin to get separated from the body of Christ, it often usually starts there. We'll separate ourselves from the body of Christ. Then we'll begin to see we become weak in holding on to what we believed, to our doctrines. And then we begin to get further and further away from the Lord. You don't start immediately by coming back over here, by, by getting back, so to speak, in the church. You start with that relationship with the Lord, reestablishing that walk, and then growing together as a body of believers. So let me back up for just a moment, because none of those three commands or, or hortatory subjunctives, encouraging words, matter if first you haven't been washed by the blood of Christ and cleansed by his life-giving, broken body, where his body was shattered for you. So if you have never taken that first step of faith and said, you know what, I'm going to follow Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I'm going to trust him with my life. I'm going to trust him with my eternity. You've never made that decision to follow Christ in that way. I'm going to, I'm going to plead with you to begin there. Like I said, I'll be standing at the front. And you know, it's not to make it hard, but Jesus said, if somebody's unwilling to publicly commit to follow me, then he's not really mine. There are no uh, closet disciples of Christ. 
So if you have not made that decision to publicly follow Christ as your personal Savior, I'm going to be here up front, and I'd love to talk to you about it. Now, ultimately, in the New Testament, <laughs> the public profession of faith wasn't walking an aisle. They didn't have aisles. <laughs> the public profession of faith was following Christ by identifying with him in baptism. So if you're ready to do that, and you believe that, that you want to give your heart and, and, and mind and, and soul to Christ, to follow him as your Lord and Savior, that's the first place you have to begin because nothing else matters. So begin there. And I'm going to encourage you when we have the time of response that if you need to do that, you come immediately. But there may be some who just simply need to make a recommitment and say, you know what? I have not been consistent in my walk with the Lord this year. I have begun to drift from Him. And I need to come and just simply draw near to God. If you need to come to the altar and confess that to the Lord, you come. Maybe you'd have to say, you know, I have not been faithful in connecting with the church walking in a relationship with God's people. And I try to be encouraging. I try to be a good person, but I need to be, get connected to, to, the, to the church. And whether God's calling you here, if you're visiting with us and, and God's calling you to another church body, you need to make that decision. But you need to make that decision and stick with it and, and go where the Lord's called you to go. So if God's calling you to make that kind of decision, maybe, maybe you know God's called you to join this church. The way that we receive members, first and foremost, if you've already accepted Christ as your Savior, you're a professed believer, you've been baptized by immersion, and you're coming from another like-minded church, we, we'll receive you in our membership. Now, if I don't know you and haven't gotten to know you very well over the years, I'll, I'll probably say, hey, let me come out and visit with you and talk to you about it first, because the most important thing to me is not that somebody join a church, but it's that you know Jesus is your Savior, okay? And so if you feel God calling you to become a part of this body, you can come forward to it during this response time. So would you stand with me? And Matthew's going to come and lead us. If God is calling you to come and pray, the altar's open for you to come and pray. If God's calling you to make some type of decision public, now's the time to do it as Matthew leads us in this hymn of response. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the new and living way that you inaugurated for us through the blood of Christ. His flesh being broken symbolized that tearing of that veil that ultimately did tear so that we can come into your presence as your children, not by religion, but out of a relationship with you. Father, I pray for those that are hearing the message today that don't know you as Savior or Lord. And today they make that commitment. They make that decision. Beginning this new year, this new decade, they're going to follow you. They give you their heart and their life today. Father, I pray that they would come immediately. But Father, if there's any who simply need to find a church home or need to recommit to their walk with you and to the basics of their faith, I pray that today would be the day. Let your spirit move in these moments. We pray in Jesus' name.